Hello and welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here with what what episode is this? Let me look up. This is 250! Episode 250. How did that happen? I mean, seriously, how did this happen? It's been five years. That's why it's happened. Anyway, we're here for episode 250, round number 250, and part two of my conversation with Heartland Marimba founder, performer, entrepreneur, and arts manager, Matthew Coley. Let's get right to it. On part one, which I hope you heard last week, we covered the Heartland Marimba story, Matthew's beginnings in percussion, and his career as a student at East Carolina, the University of North Texas, and Northwestern. For today's episode, we get to Matthew's years teaching college at Iowa State University in Ames, the challenges and accomplishments of that particular position, and then our usual close to the interview. Speaking of which, an apology. When I get to one part of Matthew's story, I ended up not going with the full moniker, which I should have stated as LGBTQIA+. I regret the error, and I plan to do better there. All right, let's get to our interview. We recorded this over Zoom on June 30th, 2021, and it begins right now. You know, Matthew, what, one of the things that, uh, that I did want to talk to you about was your uh, these years that you spent at Iowa State. What made the decision to go ahead and get a university job while you were still doing your doctorate? I was rounding the corner to finish my coursework for my doctorate. And, you know, it was that it's that time when it's like, okay, now I have to start applying for jobs. And this is the, this is the next step in the, the uh, line of things we're supposed to do. Right. So, uh, so I put out some applications and um, got lucky and uh, got hired at Iowa state university. And it was kind of a, it's kind of a funny story because I had applied for three or so other jobs and really didn't get far in those searches. And then I had planned to do kind of the celebratory bike ride from Chicago to Northern Wisconsin with a friend. So it was like four days, like 350 miles, like, yay, I'm done with my doctoral coursework. Right. And I get an email from my, uh, professor and they're like, there's this job that just opened up. I mean, this was June because Northwestern lets out in early June on their quarter system. So this was probably like the second or third week of June. She's like, this job just opened up. You have to apply for it. And we had just left for this bike ride. And so we had one day, like the second day was like a 40 mile day. So we were going to start later because my friend had some stuff to do. So I just like cranked out this application at someone else's house on someone else's computer. <laughs> I found all the files I needed and emails and stuff. And, you know, just sit it off like, oh, you know, probably nothing will come of this, whatever. So let's go, let's ride bikes. And so, um, and then I got a call and, and got hired the day before my 30th birthday in <laughs> July. And uh, <laughs> wait, wait, so, so did they, did you get to conclude your bike ride in peace or did you actually, oh, yeah. like, did they call you during the bike ride? No, no, no. So, so the bike ride happened. Okay. I spent some time up in uh, at a lake 
house in northern Wisconsin and, you know, got back to Chicago and was doing Chicago life and freelance and, and just had like switched my mindset to, oh, yeah, I'm going to be here next year. So I need to start putting together a work, you know, because I'm not going to have this this doctoral thing to do as much. Um, so that was where, you know, I had just kind of like locked into that um, mindset for the upcoming season. And then I got the call and, and it was a really quick process because they had, um, the search started in June. So they were hiring for August. And so it went really fast. And, um, so by the, by July 15th, I was now going to be moving to Iowa (laughs) from, uh, Chicago. So, there was quite a lot to kind of get wrapped up and I moved out there, um, in August at some point, like right after a recording project, I was working on uh, releasing a, my first album at that time too, like recording a concerto and, and different things for that. So, um, it was cool, cool time, busy time. And I'm very thankful for the position. I guess the, to answer your question, Um, you know, it was just kind of like, well, I've finished my doctoral coursework and this is sort of the next step in, in kind of the, the normal, I guess, procedure (laughs) for, uh, for that kind of training, you know, with, uh, that kind of advanced education. So, um, it worked out for that year, uh, to get hired somewhere. What was the, when you get there, what's the status of the program, the facilities, what what, what are you walking into? And uh, is there a specific reason that this position kind of shows up when it, when it does that you find out? Yeah, it, it was an unfortunate um, thing. The, my predecessor there was Barry Larkin and he had been there something like 20 years and he was a fixture in the central Iowa community, like Des Moines. He played in the Des Moines Symphony and um, just worked all over that area because Ames, where the university is, is pretty close to Des Moines. And so that's all kind of a central Iowa region. And he had passed away suddenly in May Mm. of 2009. So the job quickly, you know, they had, they wanted to find someone. and, And at that time, when things were sort of more normal than they are now and uh, academia was like trucking along, um, they would hire a one-year interim before they would do a full tenure track search. Yep. And I think that was pretty pretty typical around the nation in certain regions. But the Iowa schools would do that and that was just kind of a standard operating procedure. Um, so, so I was there one year <clears throat> higher and then they they were going to open the position in the fall, uh, to do the tenure track search. It was, yeah, I was, I was very grateful. I mean, it was so cool to like get hired for this job. You know, I'm going to go and do teaching and this is, this is going to be a blast working in a university setting with all these great colleagues. And, um, those are those are the things I definitely loved, like the great colleagues that I had and, and working with the students and mentoring and teaching the students. Um, so yeah, it was, it was 
really uh, just kind of a blessing. And in those ways, um, there were some kind of weird stuff because, you know, when you walk into a job and someone suddenly has passed away and they're just like a main fixture in that community and beloved by many people. Um, yeah, that's a transition I would not really recommend <laughs> someone yeah. getting into uh, just to be kind of upfront there. Um, it, some of the students didn't even know what had happened. And I was kind of just, I was sitting in the office the first day of school when they walked in, you know, in the percussion office where they were expecting to see someone else. So there was some difficult transition for a couple of years, honestly, because uh, there were some students that felt like they didn't get to, you know, n- no one could say like a proper goodbye, but it just kind right. of happened suddenly and, and, and they're young students and they didn't really, you know, the, the, the ways of, of processing that emotion were tricky because they always had to like adapt and uh, um, get to know someone new in the same position. Um, that's a lot of, yeah. <laughs> uh, of that's a, no, that's a lot of really important and challenging mental and emotional work that you're putting into a job that, you know, I mean, which has it, but not in that, not in the way that you're usually that you're dealing yeah. with. Yeah. Um, so on top of, you know, typically there is that, that transition period and, and, probably some friction from like some of the upperclassmen who have been there with a previous person. And, and, you know, anytime a new person comes on board, things are going to feel different. You know, even as hard as we try to, to make a smooth transition and say, okay, I'm just not going to come in and wipe the slate clean and do everything new, but you're going to, you know, everybody wants to improve or change or adapt things. Um, so there's that normal part of, of getting a new job, but then this other element was just, um, sort of felt like outside of, uh, what you're trained for, I guess. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, the upperclassmen who now have a little friction just because it's new, they also have a little like whatever it's kind of this weird emotion like some kind of resentment or something balled up and all that because you're you've taken this job from this person so you know we it it, it, we worked it out and and things were ultimately fine and and um you know the the situation with the program was the percussion program was great it's it was undergrad only but they had lots of equipment and they had some um, really, really good, um, like strong leaders in the studio. So, uh, so that was great, especially one person who, you know, she was kind of, uh, or she was sort of the, the leader of, you know, that upperclassman who was kind of leading the studio um, in the absence of grad students, because uh, mm-hmm. there was a grad program. But yeah, um, and then the faculty and everybody were really supportive coming in and there was a great crew of like faculty who had been hired in the last five years or so. So that was really cool. Cause I, there's also sometimes that situation I've heard where people are hired into new jobs 
And, you know, as much as they try, they still feel like the new person for a long, long time because the rest of the faculty has like been there for (laughs) decades. Right. Yeah. In some cases. So that's a real thing. The dynamics are, are, are varied and, and can be tricky a lot of times with different settings. Yeah. That is a, that's a real thing about that new, of new faculty have to deal with. And it's not even, it's not only what you, that situation of, um, of, you know, like you come in and you're the only new faculty cause everyone's been there for 20 plus years. And it, you know, that kind of thing. It's also, uh, it's made worse one way by the fact that these faculty probably have families mm-hmm. and they have their own lives. And then it's, it can be made like doubly, triply worse if you go there and you're single mm-hmm. and you have no one else. Like that's a, that's a, like another problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so. very true. And, and then a lot of these communities, um, you know, f- f- for my, in my case, <laughs> a great example is I lived like right in downtown Chicago for eight years. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then I lived in middle, you know, a middle America town right. uh, suddenly, like it was just this, whoa, <laughs> uh, kind of shock to the system a little bit. And I, re- I remember this moment is it's really fun because uh, I had, I was visiting in August before I was moving out for my, you know, first semester at Iowa state. And um, I went to see the municipal band. So, so in Iowa, it's, it's, it's a really cool thing. Like the government long ago, and maybe it's the same for you guys in Missouri, the government long ago, um, locked in this tax to provide every town with a municipal band, right? Yeah. So they're they're paid they're little paid gigs, you know, for right. band directors and mm-hmm. um, uh, longtime musicians and things like that. So um, some of them are really good too. And and the band director at Iowa State was the band director of the municipal band, although he was taking a break on this particular concert. So I went to the concert to watch the orchestra conductor who was new, who started the same year as me. And we ended up becoming really good friends. Uh, He was conducting. So, you know, I just kind of walk up to this scene, which is this band shell Mm -hmm. and 700 people on the lawn. (laughs) I'm just kind of standing there like, it's small, like brick buildings around, Mm -hmm. very much idyllic, small town, yeah midwest you know like, like the courthouse in the middle and everything yep. like the what the state yeah oh yeah and, and you know just standing there and there's like the water processing plants like sort of in the background and yeah. then there's a the silo in right. that over to the right in that background yeah yeah and, and it's like the the store that that's been selling um washing machines for like 80 years yep yep yeah. <laughs> totally that was on the other corner yeah. right and and so you know, and people, there's like people waving their American flags and ha- having their picnics and stuff. And I'm just kind of standing back at, against a tree, taking it all in. And then the, the train comes through town and it's just like deafening, like it <laughs> blows its horn and, and the band's playing, you know, and this is just like huge train horn. I'm like, Oh, okay. (laughs) So, so time sort of stopped actually for that, uh, you know, 10 seconds or whatever as the train's going by because you can't hear anything else but that. And, um, 
you know, and that, that was sort of that moment, like, okay, I guess we're doing this. We're moving to, we're moving to Ames, which is, has 27,000 people in it, you know, yeah. from, from 2.7 million in right. Chicago or whatever. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, there, there were, what, what's kind of interesting about academia and, and sort of the percussion contemporary modern uh, percussion culture of, of like this track, you know, we go to school to get our doctorate so we can teach more mm -hmm. and, and things like that. Um, you know, there's so, so much greatness about it. Like it getting the job just opened up all these doors suddenly. You're like, Oh, th this is great. You know, there's an institution behind you. There's a group of individuals, if you're in the right, you know, right situation that are also behind you. And I felt really lucky because the band director at Iowa State was also the chair, chair of the department. And he was like super behind me the whole to all six years I was there. Even though I was never tenure track, he was going, you know, he was going that extra bit for me a lot of times as if I was tenure track. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and after I left, you know, I was one, I always wondered like, why didn't they switch it over to tenure track? But then, but then after I left, I was like, I bet he was like keeping it that way so that I was like, I was freer to, cause I was traveling a lot too. I was, I would be gone like three weeks a semester to perform. And in retrospect, I'm like, you know, his name was Michael. I mean, I bet Michael was keeping it that way for me so that I could like eat more easily kind of come and go as a performer, you know, um, instead of transitioning the position into a tenure track, which would have been like uh, more commitment right on campus for me. Um, yeah, maybe. I, I don't know yeah. if that's, I, I, I'm not totally sure about that only because, you know, like, in a, I mean, like in a place like Mizzou, they have where, most of the we have most positions are tenure track, but we have a lot that aren't. Mm -hmm. But but I know that if someone is tenure track, they tend to. I think the difference is that there's like a they they try to put a cap on how how many weeks you can be gone. Yeah, uh, you know, per semester, just for that for like the kind of thing that you're doing. But the benefit is that if someone's in a tenure track position, there you know, there's kind of the understanding that they're probably going to be there for a while. And so that makes it a little easier to kind of build some of the, the base that you're talking about in terms of the, the ways that you're accepted because like you've gotten this job at the school. And so like people just now assume that that's like, like this is probably a pretty good person. So I, like the high schools will align with you and you'll like oh. all those kind of opportunities could be like that while you're there. Is this a, so what is the, you, you, you're there for a year that's an interim position. Then you, I guess you win the, whatever's like the non tenure track job. Like what, what ends up happening? Well, that, that's you, what is, I was, is it just a year to year the whole time you're there? Yeah. That's what I was getting at is um, they, yeah. And I guess I, you know, I was saying that about the, the chair. I mean, just, just to kind of be a little more transparent here is, is when I left the position that there were a lot more reasons than just personal life. Like I sort of weighed, you know, some professional personal things and, um, 
wanted to consolidate my personal life and not be in a long distance relationship. So that was one reason for resigning, but also getting back to, um, you know, I had such a busy performing schedule that, um, I was, it was, uh, ramping up enough where I could feel like, oh yeah, I could step away from this job and pursue these things full time, you know, performing, um, entrepreneurial, uh, pursuits and things like that. So, um, but then, but then there were other things about the job that didn't fit with me. And, and then as soon as I resigned, um, it sort of, (laughs) everything hit the fan Uh, Yeah, (laughs) and it sort of became obvious like, oh, Yep, I made the right decision to to step away. But yeah, so I was there for six years, and um, uh, he, I, they just kept renewing the position. So the first year, they uh, were going to do the search for the tenure track, and they started it. Um, and I was preparing to put my name in the hat for that. Um, but then uh, the uh, there was a lot of difficulty financially that year. That was '09. Yeah. So they shut they shut it down mm-hmm. a month after they had had uh, opened it up, and and canceled the search, and so then they just renewed my contract and gave me like a two year contract, and then a three year contract or something like that. Or I, I can't. It just kind of kept rolling forward. And so, no, and none of these is with any chance to for uh, promotion. There's there's no way to move up the system. You're just you're just like a. You're yeah, like a full time adjunct. It sounds like. Well, it was it was called a full time lecturer position, yeah. and mm-hmm. so it was um, certainly full time. Like you know, ten to twelve students in the studio, percussion ensemble, percussion methods, all that kind of stuff, and, and benefits. Then, I hope too, right? Oh yeah, 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 benefits and everything normal in that way. Um, the only thing, you know, that wasn't with it was like the tenure track um, service stuff that, that I that you typically have to do in committees yeah. and and the promotion and tenure like file stuff, all that stuff you have to do every year. But um, so that's what I was kind of getting at. You know, it, when I was saying that, I think when I was saying, oh, yeah, the, the chair probably kept it that way instead of pushing to, to make it to your track for me. So I could continue a busy traveling schedule. That was also just kind of a way of telling myself like, this is what was going on. Cause there was, or, or comforting myself. Cause there were a lot of other kind of things that became apparent in the background when I resigned. And then I was like, Oh, this place really wasn't the place I thought it was in some, some respects. Mm. But, um, yeah, so things you things you don't want to share. Yeah, I mean, I, I won't get too okay. deep into that stuff, but there were, um, I, I'll say like some big missteps in the search. You know, when they were hiring the person to replace me, mm. um, and just what happened in the committee for that uh, sort of. Sh- uh, you mean like, and, and so, um, so just so I'm clear, it's like when you had already resigned, like you, you already oh, yeah. let them know that you were not coming back. Right. Right. So I had already, I had already resigned and they were doing the search for my replacement. Mm-hmm. Um, and the committee, uh, it was very divided and divisive and 
trouble troublesome process from the you know the people in the committee who were kind of my um, cohorts and yep. or friends in 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 the department would relay to me and and maybe even some ethically troubling things but yeah. uh yeah so that happens in the world in that world and um but ultimately i was looking at you know uh really going for it with uh the full-time performing uh career and and the entrepreneurial stuff with heartland marimba and so that's what i've been able to do since then and uh it's going really well yeah were you realizing that the um, the freelance stuff was the thing that was the most motivating? That was the thing you were most interested in, or do you feel like if it, if the position was different, that you could you could have managed having like a you know this kind of full time teaching position at a school and still doing what you're doing? Uh, yeah, it's it's hard to say completely. I mean, you know, if the position was one that was located somewhere else, maybe more urban, mm-hmm. um, the the design or the the main foundation of the music school was slightly different. You know, there was yeah, I guess yeah, I see a, what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. A lot of music schools have sort of, you know, they have a different tilt to how they are um, functioning and what what are like the big <clears throat> the big draws to the music school. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe, but I, but there's no way to know. I mean, I, I I met my life partner while I was in that job, and uh, they were teaching somewhere else, so that became a big part of the decision, and. Um, yeah, I'd always been pursuing the, you know, the the regular performing schedule thing um, pretty heavily, anyways. During, when I was teaching, so um, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think I was drawn to to kind of see like where else can we take this too, yeah. and this is sort of the <clears throat> the way the events played out, the opportunity kind of presented itself in 2015 and said, okay, well, maybe this is the good time because um, this certain things in this position at this university aren't going any further. So, you know, maybe this is the best time. Um, Now I will say like building a freelance life in Chicago, which I did from 2003 to 2007 yeah. or nine is very different than building one in Northeast Iowa. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. I'm gonna, and, and, and at first I was like, Oh, I've done this before. I've done it in Chicago. This would be yeah. no problem. Right. Um, no, it's a cold, different monster. <laughs> right. um, but there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of driving in either scenario because that's, you know, being on the road is what you got to do. And yeah, in Northeast Iowa, I just drive longer distances as opposed to Chicago traffic. It's right. all the same amount of time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Maybe, yeah, maybe less mileage, but yeah. more time in the right. car. Right. At the same time, same amount of time. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Like if you were to teach at schools that come to mind, it's like if you were like at a DePaul or at a, uh, like a Rice, you know, places where they're in big cities, 
but the people who who have some of these positions are like full time orchestra people yeah. who like they then do the they have like the university position as just like a part of what they do. Yeah. But not the but not maybe not necessarily like the the bigger percentage. Yeah. I think I yeah, and who, it's hard again. It's hard to say um, with this with this world, this life, and this career yeah. path. Um, it's so it's such a kind of a weird choice for us, right? Like, especially when you when you wrap in your personal life, and if you have a partner, mm-hmm. and you're like, we want to live here in this place. Well, okay. Well, you chose the wrong career for that, right? It's like, <laughs> right. Yeah. If you're going to be in academia, you can't just like spin the globe and be like, and I'm going to live here. Right. That's called computer science or right. something. Nursing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where every community has like a hundred right. elementary school teacher. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I spent a lot of time, younger time um being sort of wrapped up in that like oh i just really want to get this job in the city and um and and then i i've let that go because i've created like that's the thing is you can create the life and and my my composer friend david colson um he has a really good way of putting this uh he's composer at western michigan university and worked I'm working a lot with him on new album and stuff, but he, he's like, yeah, you know, people can just create their, their own cities and their own urban lives wherever they are nowadays, um, especially with virtual technology. Um, And so that's really kind of what I've taken to with, to build Heartland Marimba is like, you know, it would be great to have a big urban area to support Heartland Marimba, but we don't need that. We are, uh, you know, we're traveling the nation and performing and in all these small communities. And we're sort of a, an organization for the whole state of Iowa in, in essence. And then Heartland Marimba Quartet is, is like doing national tours and stuff. So, um, you know, and I live in a community of a hundred thousand people. That's <laughs> right. It's working out, I guess. <laughs> yeah. All right, Matthew. All right, finish up with a segment called Random Ask Questions. All right. All right. First question, first couple are not going to be random. But the first question is, what's an issue? Uh, either pick something like percussion education or percussion performance, um, something in those lines that gets under your skin or drives you the most nuts. Whoa, let's see. <laughs> so so this is this is like right in line with like my my soapbox kind of stuff. So I'll 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 steer this towards the um the culture that we have in terms of performance as most particularly with marimba. Uh, it's a huge motivator for me, but it also sort of gets under my skin and how the marimba is like um is placed is utilized comfortably in the university system and of course with heartland marimba we are that's what we're doing is we're trying to and we talked about this earlier in our discussion we're trying to get it out into the real world so when i talk to my string player friends who have you know wedding gigs every weekend and orchestra gigs around that and they just don't have enough time in their 
days and lives to keep up with all the performing. Like that's what we should be doing with marimba, you know? And so I, I think as maybe like a call to people who have that, um, or in that place in life, in that position in life to, to kind of work more to build it up as like a, a, a kind of a real life, tangible, lucrative art form and get it out there so that, um, you know, while we're, we continue, I guess the part that is sort of per- perturbing to me is we continue to create all these marimba soloists that have re- a lot of advanced education, but there's like no real world application to it. So I just want to encourage those people who uh, have those positions to like get the instrument out in the real world more often. And maybe instead of doing another concert on campus at, in your recital hall, take, take it out to a venue in town and, and expose it uh, to a wider community. So um, how's that? <laughs> no, that's good. You, and I just, to, so to clarify, like, Art galleries, uh, coffee houses, oh, yeah. um, or churches. And what? Like, yeah, one. So one thing I did when I was teaching at Iowa State. So I always like to say there's um, there's now a marimba culture in Ames, Iowa. So whenever Heartland Marimba goes back to Ames, and we usually do once a season, um, it's one of our biggest and most enthusiastic audiences because for six years. I was would try to do concerts off campus at least twice a year with my students or my own projects or things like that. So I developed in town? a partnership in town. Yeah. Yeah. With, with um, uh, a church in town or like I'd have the students play at a little music festival and they play in like the ice cream shop or the coffee shop or something like that. You know, I was always trying to do those little things. Um, but it was super important for me to talk to people outside of the university's regular sort of walls and bring them in. And, and the other part of that is like bringing them to campus for concerts. Um, and I did a lot of summer things because when Heartland Marimba started up, we were a summer festival and there were a bunch of concerts. So, so now when we go back, uh, all those people show up and they bring their friends. So, you know, it's like, a good crowd of that fills a hall. Now I can book, book the like local auditorium and fill the hall. No, that's awesome. That, that is good advice. I I need to like take that personally too. Like, like, like I mean that, like that I have to make that a part of what I do on my own just cause for those reasons, you know? It's, yeah. And, and it's, it takes a long, it takes a while to build that kind of thing. And it's, sort of feel slow and, and almost like um, in, in a way kind of like it's not working usually is, is the feeling. Right. Yeah, yeah, but right. it is working. That's the thing is like one, even like one little thing a year when you get out into a community that has never experienced it, that, you know, that will like propagate and spread slow, you know, over the yeah, yeah. years until you're like, Oh, we actually have a culture of people following the marimba, you know, around here. Yeah. No, that's awesome. That's good. Tell me a little bit about your experiences as in the percussion world as a member of LGBTQ community. 
let's see, I came out in like 20 years ago. So I was like still in school and, and it's changed so much, you know, with uh, our progression of our society um, with diversity and acceptance. Um, it still has a long way to go as we are, you know, learning more about in, in so many other ways this past year. Um, so there's always kind of these marginalized communities in advanced societies and, um, the LGBTQIA community has been working, of course, you know, for a long time for lots, lots of different kinds of acceptance and equality. So, uh, when I came out, if the feeling was different than it was, it is now. So it's, it's very, it's, it feels very comfortable now. Also, I'm just being older. It's just sort of like, this is who I am. Take it or leave it, you know? Right. <laughs> uh, at that time, I had a lot of um, trepidation about being who I was in the percussion community because of it kind of has this, in, in a way, sort of a, I mean, I mean, I, we can just be bl- kind of frank about it. I mean, most percussionists are straight men. Right. And um, so, you know, when you're sort of on the outlier, an outlier on in that kind of group, you, you wonder, like, is this going to affect the future for me? Um, and, you know, and, 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 and I'm sure that's kind of a, a concern for women in the field and then, you know, BIPOC people and trans people like, so, um, so it's, it's really hopeful and, and amazing to see the progression that we're, we're in right now and see, or see where it has brought us with things like the diversity committee and PAS. And, and then I'm part of the queer diversity subcommittee of that, um, committee and things like that. So it's, it's, you know, we're really starting to get to the core of some of these issues. It's a long way to go, but, um, but yeah, you know, I, I think just kind of to keep it on the shorter side here, but, uh, at first I was just concerned at, at how, how much to be myself in a way. And, um, especially like getting a job in academia in a in small town America, that was also like a, a big or, or you know somewhat of a concern for me moving out from Chicago, which felt very comfortable, and I had this community around me, um, and then moving to Ames, uh, where like we were talking about earlier, you know, you moving there single into a small community, like trying to meet people, where's where do I fit in? And so that actually, um, I had to, to kind of reformulate a lot of that because it, it, as you can imagine, it was very, very different from, um, building a community in Chicago and then being out in, uh, like central Iowa. So, um, yeah, so, so I, I, I'll say maybe a lot of the concerns I had were mostly internal and they, and for me, they were never, nothing really ever came of it. Like I, I don't feel like I was ever discriminated against in terms of career and, and whatnot. And, um, but I think over the years I just learned to be more 
upfront about who I was and unapologetic in a way. Um, and I, uh, my, my partner is in the opera world and, and I would see the, uh, a lot of times, you know, we've been together for 10 years, um, or 11 years now, <laughs> the pandemic sort of blurred all that, right, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I, I would kind of observe how that world, I mean, that's just like, it was like, in my eyes, it was a very different thing. You know, he, it was always not an issue. You know, if you're part of LGBTQIA community in that world, although on the stage, there's, there's a different dynamic too, where you have to present a, a certain uh, character, a certain person for your career. So, so the dynamics are, are kind of shifted in that world, but it felt from the surface, it felt more like comfortable place with that community. Um, And then with percussion, uh, you know, it it just was, I I just felt like I had to be more careful, but it's, uh, you know, again, it could have been just all in my head because you just always kind of, I grew up in the South and you always kind of well, and the small, the t- I mean, that's what I was going to ask you is yeah. that the small town South too. Yep. Yeah. You, you always kind of walk into the world just being a little cautious, like, okay, you know, reel it in, play the, play, a play an acceptable role to society, you know, or, or uh, present yourself as an acceptable, um, kind of in, in an acceptable way and just be cautious here and there, you know, but, um, but again, I, I, I've never felt, fortunately, I've never felt any overt, um, discrimination, you know, so I, I'm, there are people that I, I, I'm sure have had more of a time w- with it than I have for certain. And so I'm very thankful for that, but to end it on a bright note, like, <laughs> It's all good. Like, I, I mean, very, very happy. And um, it's, it's been great. Uh, you know, people have been very accepting along the way. And, um, and I think the, the whole butterfly effect is, is the best way to go. You just like be yourself on the surface and tell people who you are. And then like, then they learn to get to know someone else who's LGBTQ and then they understand that those people are great too. And and so there's this whole, you know, kind of uh, exponential growing of, of acceptance that way. And so that's kind of how I, I walk through the world now and just kind of be a little, be unapolog- unapologetic about it. Yeah. All right. We move on. We get, get to some uh, slightly less, uh, Serious questions. Uh, first up okay. is what is the most impractical item of clothing you own? That's good. That's funny. Probably all the different uh, eyeglasses that I have. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have, you know, I don't, it's not that many because I, I could probably think of people who, I mean, certainly think of people who have who have like a, amazing numbers of shoes or some something right, like sure, that, yeah. right? So. I mean, how many pairs of eyeglasses do you need, right? You just need one stylish pair yeah, yeah. that work, right? But I've found uh, sort of uh, an, a little addiction of mine. It's like I, I've 
found a way to, you can buy these um, eyeglasses online with like Zlul and different yeah. sites like that, where um, it's, it's relatively inexpensive. And so it's just kind of a fun thing for me um, to every once in a while, just order a couple pairs and take a chance on them fitting. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, you kind of take a chance on them fitting. Right. But yeah. um, so yeah, I guess that's not one one piece of clothing, but it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> good. Yeah. Well, the my wife had shown me. We, I wear I have contacts, but I do wear glasses uh, at night. Just like once my eyes get tired, my wife is basically entirely eyeglasses now. And she was showing me the um, the feature of like you could basically put every pair of of eyeglasses on like a a digital image of yourself. And yeah. it was just, it was wild. Cause we're like, no, no, no. Okay. <laughs> all right. Like that might work. Uh, no. Yeah. You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's sort of, it's still sort of the uh, question in your mind if it's going to work. Right. Like even when you, it's just not right on that, that whole pairing of a digital image and then they stick the image of the glasses on. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so that's how I buy my glasses. Um <laughs> It's great because you can like try out funky designs and uh, and I always tell I you know my I'm always encouraging my partner Corey to get he, he's talking about I want different kinds of glasses like just buy some and just like wear them own it like it's yeah, just yeah. it's all about just owning it even if it for a while it's like it feels like it's not not your style eventually it will be your style if you just yeah, keep yeah. doing. <laughs> So that's sort of my mindset with is I'll, I'll buy some crazy or, you know, not crazy, but just like a little bit of a, a different kind of design than is sort of normal. And just, I'll just wear it for a while to see if it sort of settles in on me. Yeah. That's, that's wonderful. We have a, a friend <laughs> of ours that we've met during the pandemic um, through uh, we do trivia with, with her and a group uh, every night, like over zoom and, and Google meet and stuff like that. And, and, you know, like the tendency is, is for glasses to be, to be kind of like yours, like the smaller, uh, uh -huh. you know, they'll take up a lot of her. And she has a, she has a, like giant circles glasses and they work perfectly for her. Like I was like, yeah. I can't even imagine her without them on. Like it's, it's like, it just fits <laughs> oh, yeah, like, perfectly. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. The giant, and they're, they're great. <laughs> I love those. I love those. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I, and that's the thing is um, sort of like hairstyles and face shape is like a big and thing. shoes and stuff. Yeah. You, you know, everything, anything can kind of go nowadays, right? You can, yeah. you can get the like thin frame glasses mm -hmm. or big and chunky or pointed or whatever. And it's all kind of in, yeah. in a way. I mean, there's certain trends that are mo more popular than other, but if it's, it's all about like just kind of owning it, and it making it yours, I think. Um, so yeah, that's fun. Fun to see uh, different people trying out those different kinds of glasses. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Has anyone ever nailed an impression of you? And if so, how'd they do it? <laughs> you know, I don't know this because, and funny thing is I, I was thinking about this kind of recently, actually. You know, because we've all done it, right? We would always try to do impressions of our professors mm -hmm. and in like hanging out in grad school and stuff at night or whatever. But um, 
and recently in Heartland Marimbo, we've hired, uh, it's really cool because I've been able to hire some of my former students from my Iowa State days. They've mm-hmm. gone on and, and just become like powerhouse players. And so now I'm touring with them, which is <laughs> in a professional setting, which is always this like uh, interesting and, and sort of bizarre dynamic that I find myself in nowadays at my age. <laughs> traveling around with 25 year olds and in a van on a professional gig. Um, So, so I was thinking to myself, I'm like, I wonder if they ever do impressions of me. I just kind of driving down the road. I didn't ask anyone because out of fear, like, Oh no, I'll learn, you know, they're going to be like, Oh yeah. All the time. (laughs) Would y'all, you know, so-and-so was doing a great impression last night and Ryan did one the night before. It's like, (laughs) um so i really i'm sure i'm sure i really don't know yeah uh yeah how about you have you ever have you ever encountered that yes there is a um particularly through uh marching band here um the 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 most common one is that i have a i have a very specific outfit which is it's incredibly boring. Uh, a very middle-aged white, straight white guy of uh, polo, khaki shorts, sneakers, uh-huh. and and I wear a belt, um, like a black belt, just like all the time yeah. for every outfit. And uh, there have been a couple of times where the 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 uh, theme for some sections for like Spirit Week or something like that is dressed like Doctor Zambito Day. And so there's just a bunch of people dressed and, or in a ball cap because I, I don't have any my hair leaving uh, my head. So so like there's just like, you know, a whole section of, of saxophones who are, who are looking like me or clarinets or something like that. It's it's a little unnerving, yeah. but it's pretty it's 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 pretty good. Like I, and to be great. fair, it's, it's not a, it doesn't cost a lot of money, you know, to, to do this impression. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And But that outfit's very, you know, marching band functional. Right. Yeah. Like yes, you, of course. You got to be comfortable, be able to move, but also have some like business about it. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, Yeah. But yeah, now now that you're saying that though, it's making me think like, uh, you know, when I was teaching at Iowa state, all the, a lot of the, the guys in the studio, cause I I typically, when I perform a lot of times I'll wear a vest. Mm. Um, And especially if I want to wear a tie, I'll wear a vest to keep the tie uh, contained locked yeah. locked in contained yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um and so over the years i've kind of built up this like collection of vests <laughs> yeah, <laughs> performance nice. vests and so all of a sudden like my uh male students in the studio were buying they were like showing up for to performances with vests on it's like wait a minute <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of cool yeah um, so they must you know and i and i'm pretty um just kind of outward and extroverted and, and um, pretty big with motions when I'm like coaching percussion ensemble or, or doing any kind of uh, coaching, you know, private lessons too. So I'm sure they've found times to do impressions of me like with my, 
<laughs> swinging of my arms and right. kind of flamboyant coaching style or whatever. <laughs> you know, what's What's awesome is because I've I've you know when you've come to Mizzou, I've seen you play, and you play you have, and I think you you have a term for this, but you play this really. Um, this, you have a very big, loud sound that's not. It's it's like very relaxed. But it's just kind of like the way you and you you create a lot of sound out of the instrument, um, yeah. and you're and you're tall too, so it's like you have this like combination of all of these factors going on that, and it's it's a uh, it's 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 enormous, enormously fun to watch. I gotta be honest. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I have a uh, um, some background in dance, and mm-hmm. that I tr- I try to whether it's conscious or subconscious probably mostly subconscious draw on that when I'm performing, um, you know, and then, yeah, I think you're talking about my big sound rebound concept yeah. <laughs> where I, I, um, I always like to show, you know, a classroom of high school students in a master class. Um, like here, here's how much sound I can make out of a lot, very low effort. And, you know, and it's just like, boom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like, wow. I'm like, well, you know, that's like 25 years of <laughs> right of working yes. on that rebound stroke, right? <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yeah. Totally. Go awesome. to the practice room, kids. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, next question. What's a great movie and what's a terrible movie? For a great movie, I have two that I really love. Um, and I, and it's a, is it okay if I give you two? Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, and this, this is also a little bit of a stalling tactic for me to think of a, a really bad movie. I would say like definitely have to put, uh, Priscilla queen of the desert on the list. Okay. Yep. Uh, I've probably seen that movie like, I don't know, 25 times or something. Um, but it's so it's just so fun, like the the campiness and um, and then Corey and I are really like big drag queen friend, uh, fans, anyways. Mm-hmm. So um, you know we're always watching RuPaul's Drag Race, and now it's kind of crazy how this this whole empire that she's created with there's um, drag races in other countries now in Spain and Canada and the UK. And so, so we could just like watch an episode a night for every day of the year now, which is great. <laughs> uh, so Priscilla queen of the desert would be top, top of the list. And I would also say strictly ballroom if we're going, um, yeah. Australian. Yeah. Do you know this? Yeah. Um, and, and really it's that director, which is Baz Luhrmann. Yeah. Who, um, it, I just think is super incredible. And he he just released a new movie, and I, I know we've seen it. Again, this is where I get to the – I'm really bad at remembering movie titles. But, yeah, Baz Luhrmann would be a favorite director, and he just – and there was a new movie that he came out with that I recommend. I can't think of the title. But um, – and then – so the first thing that comes to mind is, like, this for, – for a bad movie mm-hmm. – um, and actually for me, it, it's not so bad, but I know for other people who tried to watch it, they really thought it was awful. But during the pandemic, I, I've always wanted to read Ayn Rand's 
Atlas shrugged. Okay. Um, <laughs> which maybe seems like an out of out of left field thing, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I started to read it a few years ago, and um, I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm going to totally get into this." Some some aspects of it really are were very interesting to me. Um, of course, I don't uh, prescribe to it all that like um, objectivism completely and and all that, but uh, it was just very interesting, and so it became a goal of mine just to read it because so the pandemic got here and I did a lot of reading last year. <laughs> um, and so they have, there's a trilogy of movies based on Atlas Shrug, and production wise, they're awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lot of the acting is really pretty, not great. But for me, I just really enjoyed watching it because I, I don't know, it was just kind of a fun, fun little thing to pair it with this, this, tome of a book that i just read mm-hmm. um but yeah they're they're pretty bad movies i would say so there's three of them and you can you can work your way through three different bad movies <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> there I, we go I, the funny thing is i think reading about them i think like the the first one may have gotten like a d plus or something like that and then yeah. like it went lower for like the yeah. other two or something like that yeah. But there was, you know, this kind of, I mean, there's a lot in that book. Like it's a, it's a certainly uh, packs a big punch, you know, but one kind of baseline appeal was when I was a kid, I was really into model trains. And so there's a, you know, uh, throughout the book, it's all about the the railroad industry and stuff like that. So that was sort of like um, just a kind of visceral draw to it. Um, and then, so that was kind of a fun part with the movies too, although the CGI was really awful <laughs> in the big train accident, you know, you're like, that's so bad. That's so <laughs> fake, but I'm going to keep watching for the next four hours <laughs> because it's, you know, it was like August last yeah. year. Like what else am I going to do for the next four months? <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> so there you go. So some pretty like crazy, uh, des- desperate out of left field movie selections there for you. <laughs> I like it. Uh, I'm all I'm all here for it. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, relatedly, then, what's a favorite book? Not Atlas Shrugged, probably. I'm gonna guess. No, uh, no. I mean, I liked the book. I wouldn't say it was a a favorite of mine. It's been a while since I've read any of these, but um. I've been reading a lot of Dan Brown books, but I don't want to say those. I mean, those are sort of fluff reading, yeah. but they're a lot of fun. I, I don't know. I, I, I really enjoy kind of the world that he, he puts together. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite books would be um, The Great Gatsby, actually. Mm. Um, and I, I recently read that again and uh, watched the movie too. I, I really I love this, the, the aspect of, um, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of movies made after books, but it's just, it's just like kind of extra fun for me to like read the book first and then go see the, watch the movie and sort of do that comparison of them, which I'm sure a lot of people enjoy that. But, um, that became sort of a thing during the pandemic as I was like picking books that had movies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Yeah. Oh, I just thought of it. The talented Mr. Ripley. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. That, uh, yeah, we, we're actually reading, um, the series of, um, Patricia, Patricia Highsmith yeah. books. Yeah. And see, I told you I'm really bad with, uh, like names and, and books and, and movies and stuff. Uh, but yeah, so, so I picked that up this some or we, oh, oh, we escaped <laughs> to an Island in December, mm. um, in the tropics, we went to the Dominican Republic and we just kind of like slipped out of the country and didn't tell anyone. Um, and it was actually, it felt really safe. The, the moment we, in, in the middle of COVID, you know, the moment we didn't feel safe was actually the last flight back because it was right before Christmas. Oh yeah. So I, I kind of, I started to dive into to that series, the, the Ripley series um, by Patricia Highsmith yeah. And um, I think I'd recently seen the movie again and I thought, oh, I really want to see what the book's like. And I just loved it. Like just the way she ties together this sort of this. Um, I mean, it's it's all very uh, kind of p- pretentious, like lifestyle living, like, uh, you know, lots of <laughs> uh, expensive traveling in Europe and living in villas. And it's like, where do these people get this money? They are, they're drinking and, and sitting on the beach all day. <laughs> Who's doing the work, you know, <laughs> but that was kind of a fun thing when we were, you know, traveling to, to the Dominican Republic, reading those books. And then the, the murder mystery part of it is, is always fun, uh, captivating, but, but yeah, so that's, I would recommend those two books. All right. Next question. Uh, again, related. If you meet somebody and the, and this could thinking on the more obscure, like pop culture or something like that, but you meet someone and they go, Oh, I like this. And you're like, we're good. What's that for you? Oh, okay. I think I get it. Um, so there's like this immediate connection yeah. Um, through, through some kind of popular thing. There's, there's so many, there's so many great ways to like connect with people. But one, one of them is, for me is actually has to do with food. Mm. <laughs> okay. So as soon as someone, as soon as I learn that someone is just like really adventurous with food and drink and, or just enjoys, you know, like trying to make thing new things at home or, or I, I just know there's going to be a doorway opening for us to talk about a lot of things because, you know, that's when I travel because uh, partially because of where we live, we don't have a lot of restaurant options and great um, food culture like that. There's, there's a few here that, that we're really happy are here, like a, a really great Indian restaurant and things like that. But um, when I travel, it's like when I have to like take in all the great different cuisine that we're, that we're offered in our advanced world. And so, um, you know, if I go, go somewhere, like to do a concert or something and they're like, so what do you like? What do you, what do you want to eat? And I'm, and I say, yeah, let's, what's your best Indian restaurant or what's your best, is there a French restaurant in town? And, and the person's like, yeah, immediately. And they just have a list of all these places. I'm like, okay, this is going to be fun. We got a lot to talk about. So 
Yeah, so I think I would I would start with that. Um, there's nothing better than in life than good food and drink. Honestly, <laughs> I think I told someone recently that uh, I I'm so excited to wake up. Or they were talking about how they they they're really just not a morning person. I was like, oh, you know, I think I am kind of a morning person only because when I wake up. I'm so excited to think, oh, I get to eat again very soon. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like there's a meal coming in like the next half an hour or to an hour. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> and breakfast is like one of the is the best meal of the day for me. I, I always loved it. Nice. I don't know if you, if you um, when you grew up, if your parents would make breakfast for dinner. Did you guys do that? We we would frequently have a pretty big Sunday like post church like my mom ah. would make like yeah the spread you know like it would be like like the main thing would be pancakes or waffles or French toast and then like you know other various sides and so that was like yeah. the big the big yeah. the big kind of breakfast meal that we would do yeah we I mean we certainly learned how to eat. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> a lot. Yeah, same. in the south, in the south, uh, as kids, like you know, Thanksgiving was enough food for three times as many people right. in the room, and yeah, and but the, but it was always really fun when my mom would make pancakes and and eggs and things like that for dinner time. Mm-hmm. You're like, yes, breakfast yeah. for dinner. <laughs> yeah. Now I've I've heard it, I've I have friends I think my wife actually that was sometimes that would they would do that with her family yeah. growing up so definitely a thing of her and she grew up in North Carolina so it's like so she has ah. uh, understands some of that culture too where where in North Carolina uh, mostly in Burlington Burlington uh, so like uh, f- like a half hour about an hour outside of winston-salem half hour out so like right in between winston-salem and raleigh it's kind of center of the state yeah yeah well you know i um i think we talked about this i started at east carolina university yeah we talked about that yeah and so that's where i would drive is Mm i-40 down to greensboro and then east oh yeah yeah straight across through winston-salem yeah or Raleigh, Winston-Salem, yeah. Yeah, so you would have passed Burlington on the way if you were on that. Yeah. Cool. All right, this is exciting. I have This is the first time I've anyone's been asked this, so. Okay. Uh, so. <laughs> I get to try it out for you. I get to try it out. Okay. Your go-to karaoke song. Yeah, okay. I don't know. Uh, I may be like the worst person to try this out on. <laughs> okay, sure. Um. Cause I, you know, I haven't done karaoke in probably decades. So I'll say I don't really have a go-to karaoke song, but the few times I did karaoke, the favorite time was this B-52 song. What was the, the famous one? Love Shack? You know? Yes. Yeah. With this group of people like it was like a big group of people singing uh obnoxiously singing this love shack by b52 but yeah um so yeah it's such a weird song but <laughs> it's a it's a good karaoke one i actually yeah a, yeah yeah 
There you go. So I'm not I'm not really an avid karaoke or okay. <laughs> karaokeist. But yeah. So that would be I would I would uh, settle on that song though if I had to do it again. Gotcha. <laughs> All right. Um, what is a since we talked about music so much? What is a non music related goal that you still have for your life? I would love to own a boat. Uh, just like a s- kind of speedboat style thing or, or not like a sailboat, but we bought a house uh, almost two years ago and, and uh, there's a, there was this kind of dormant crafty handyman side of me <laughs> because we were renting for several years before that. Mm-hmm. And I never felt like I could really like open up, crack that open, that part of me. And, and cause I grew up around that. My parents, we're super handy and crafty and yeah. always building stuff. So, so when we bought a house, like I, it was just like, I was let loose, you know, the, the, uh, the tiger was out of the cage or whatever uh, metaphor you want to come up with. But um, so, so that's really kind of a fun, fun thing for me is, you know, I've been, um, renovating uh, my percussion studio here and different things like that. So I have all kinds of projects that way, but, but yeah, like it's always kind of been a life dream to uh, be able to own a, um, like a warehouse type condo in a city and, and, and renovate the whole thing, you know, just like a, a, a floor of an old warehouse and just turn it into this, big open space, open concept um, space, whether it's a living place or a venue of some sort, like maybe Heartland Marimba headquarters one day, mm-hmm. uh, something like that. So it could be a, a flexible space for events and concerts and teaching and all kinds of stuff. But, but yeah, so that's always kind of been a, a dream of mine. And maybe one day, you know, I'll be able to maybe in Minneapolis or something, I'll be able to find that space and, and do, do that project. A couple more. What is either the strangest, funniest, or most bizarre performance moment that involves you? Um, okay. So, so I'll tell you about this one. This one's kind of interesting. Um, in Denmark. Uh, was it Denmark? No, no, no. Sorry. Sorry. It was Sweden. Um, in Copenhagen, we, I was on this tour with Edition Spitzer, the publishing yeah. house in Denmark. Um, so Johan ha- used to set up these tours with artists. And so, uh, you know, artists that were connected closely to Editions Fitzer works. So I had some mu- of my own music published and I was also like premiering or part of uh, several commissioning, you know, projects that ended up, he ended up publishing. So he put a, put together a tour with a, a Danish artist, Ronnie Wenzel in Europe for us. And one of the gigs was at this TV station in Copenhagen. And we were going to be on like this, you know, like local access TV in Sweden. Um, and I mean, this is so much fun and just so bizarre at the same time. You're, you know, you think of like public, public access TV here at kind of, if, if you kind of think about it, maybe in the fifties <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and we would, 
so that's sort of the 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 scenario a little bit. So this TV station was what felt like an apartment building. It was in an apartment building. I have no idea if that's actually what it was. It may have been an office building, but it felt like they had taken like two apartments in a high rise and converted it into this TV station. So we're trying to move two five octave marimbas and a slew of multi-percussion into their TV studio, which was like bright pink and black. And it's very much like eighties sort of site, you know, that, that neon kind of color palette. Um, and so we had to, we had to move the marimbas, set the marimbas up. So, so it was, you know, it was like five floors up in this little bitty elevator and then wiggle down this little hallway, set the marimbas up, do that piece, tear them down, set the multi-percussion up, do that piece. Cause we couldn't have everything together cause it was so big. But, um, and the whole time it was happening in, in uh, Swedish and I was just kind of like smiling and, nodding like yeah this is a great i don't know what's happening right now but <laughs> so so yeah it was kind of it was super fun and kind of bizarre at the same time and um and then you know i guess it aired it, it definitely aired sometime after that in in the country um yeah so yeah, that, that would be one that stands out to me definitely <laughs> cool <laughs> All right. Somewhere I have some good photos of that one. Oh, uh, sure, yeah. There's some <laughs> you've connected to some uh, Swedish teenager at some point, and they have no idea who stumbled upon it. Like, I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> I want to be like those guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what happened? Is he still around? <laughs> yeah, I want to do uh, you know small or small time. Uh, public access TV uh, spots <laughs> as my career, you know, <laughs> someone's thriving for that in their career. Like, well, yes, there's not a lot of money in that. Be careful. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. And lastly, Matthew, what one piece of art could be movies, music, books, podcasts, YouTube clips, theater, visual art, uh, anything like that, poetry, etc., has impacted you the most recently i would say that for me the most inspiration comes from visual art a lot of it being modern art too that uh, type of art that you know is kind of the abstract or mostly paintings too i think they really they really kind of reach out to me um in some way also architecture too. I'm not sure that I'll be able to like give you a, um, a title of a specific piece, but I, I always notice that when I'm, you know, either just kind of walking through an art museum or a gallery or uh, somewhere in someone's home or, or something like that. And they have a print of a Dali painting those always just kind of like grab me for some reason more than other. So we have, um, I have one that I've had forever. It's a print of the red orchestra by Dali, Salvador Dali. And, um, and we got to see all sort of related is we got to see, uh, the Dali museum in Paris, uh, I guess 
it's been a couple of years now when we were there, but, but yeah, there's almost something like that. I can't put into words what, what the draw is, but uh, also um, it's just really fascinating to me and the curious quality of it. And, and the, of course the surreal part of it. Um, So another thing, uh, there's also been some like recent times where local artists um, have really the work has really spoken to me. Uh, some artwork in uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan, <laughs> that I saw from some local artists there. Um, I can't remember the artist's name, but but at least I can say they they teach or they work at Western Michigan University, and um, and and I. I mentioned David Coulson earlier and Laurie Sims is the pianist there. And I work closely with them uh, for some projects. And Laurie has some of that art in her house. And it's just, I, when I go, I stay with Laurie and I'm always just kind of drawn to certain pieces by this artist. Uh, but, you know, and I also want to do a shout out too, because I love what she's doing. Um, Jenny Klukin, do you know this name? Oh yeah, she was just on um, the App Percussion podcast. Was she? Yeah, yeah, she's a right. She well, she's a marimbist, and she's in the Twin Cities, but she's also an artist, and she does this acrylic flow art that is so beautiful. And and is I do want to commission her for a piece. We've talked a little bit about kind of a, a marimba inspired piece. Um, nothing. Uh, I don't want anything that's like obviously marimba but (laughs) something very much abstract like she normally does um so yeah uh i wanted to just mention her because whenever i see her work on instagram i'm just immediately drawn to that as well matthew we are done okay i hope that was uh enough or not too much or i don't know (laughs) good luck with the editing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so well i i really appreciate you having me on it's been it's been a lot of fun talking to you and and getting to know you more and um so thank you yeah it's been a, a lot of fun yeah thanks no, i appreciate appreciate hearing that Such a pleasure getting to spend so much time with Matthew over these past two episodes. I wish him the best with all things Heartland Marimba and the rest of his career, and I look forward to getting to see him play again as we hopefully move towards some kind of normalcy. It all continues. This week's rave is the 2020 comedy series Ted Lasso, starring Jason Sudeikis, created by Bill Lawrence and showing on Apple TV. I'd heard a great deal about this series from, frankly, lots of people. Friends, critics, adversaries, etc. All were particularly high on the show, and after getting a chance to see much of the first season, I can see why. The show is somewhat of a combination of the sports movies, Major League, The Replacements, and the famed TV show Scrubs. Seems like an odd combination, but it makes sense when you realize that the creator of the show, Bill Lawrence, is the same person who created that wonderful buddy doctor comedy show from the 2000s. The basic story is that the new owner, 
of a fictional top-level Premier League soccer team in the UK, played by Hannah Waddingham, has a plan to tank her soccer team towards relegation by hiring an American football coach, played by Jason Zanakis. He's this very inspirational, rah-rah figure who is a very successful college football coach. He comes over, along with his assistant coach, played by Brendan Hunt, to take over the coaching duties and, you know, hijinks ensue. There are two major things that make this worth your time. One, the show is, generally speaking, very good-natured. The tone is very upbeat. It does not go too dark, as many comedy shows tend to, and it moves at a quick pace. It's just fun and puts you in a great mood. And there are definitely moments, as was the case on Scrubs, where it shows a lot of heart. And two, the show is really funny. This shouldn't be a surprise if you're a fan of Scrubs or some of Bill Lawrence's other shows, but the jokes come fast and quick. It is frequently and continuously hilarious. It's a blast, and you need to watch Ted Lasso. If you haven't seen season one, catch up now, as season two is planning to come out later in July. Check it all out on Apple TV. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at PeteZambito or by email at PetesPerkPod at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time. Until then.